film fans and uh, what do we say to affinity and beyond because we're going to have a special show today, Carl, full of whimsy and magic. No, what you wouldn't say to infinity and beyond to this person, to this person, you would say banana. <laughs> Hello. Hey, right. Crime Stoppers. We have Glenn McCoy, the internationally famous animator and cartoonist from Swansea, Illinois, across the river. That's exactly Hi, what my T-shirt says. Hey, Glenn. <laughs> hey, Carl. Glenn, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, same here. Always fun. Well, Glenn and I started in the same little cubbyhole office at the News Democrat, but I had gone by the time they put him in there for as as his little space. That's right. I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. Some good vibes there. Yeah, it was like we were away from the world, away <laughs> from the newsroom. Yes, in our own little corner. <laughs> and that's that's when a newsroom felt like a newsroom too. There was people running around with copy and phones ringing and that's, that's a lost uh, age. Yeah. And the city editor had a red phone. They called the bat phone. That's right. Remember that? I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So Glenn, Glenn is uh, an expatriate of the Belleville News Democrat, but he's gone on to much bigger and better things, including nationally syndicated comic strip. And the duplex. Yay, duplex. And his his uh, uh, burgeoning career as a storyboard artist. And we're going to find out what that means with Illumination. Yep. Illumination Entertainment. You're, so, you're actually coming up on 30 years of doing the duplex, aren't you? Uh, yeah. You know what? The uh, the syndicate called me uh, early in the year saying uh, it's big anniversary for the duplex, you know, they were going to have like a, you know, big nonstop party, expect parades and everything. And, and I think they put up like a web, like a link to their website with an interview for me, which, uh, so that's, and you that's did 25 years ago, 25 years. Right. And I've been working for illumination for 12 and I've been working in animation for about 20. So I, I've been, I've been doing animation stuff for a while now. And Through, I, I think I started with Disney. So, oh, oh, I so. Rem- oh, I remember how Michael Eisner himself came to the News Democrat and was so enamored with Glenn <laughs> that he set up a meeting in L.A. Yeah, that's that's kind of what got me on that uh, on that path. And uh, that was a crazy day because uh, it was a series of happy coincidences that kind of got me into animation because we were, I was working for the news Democrat as you were Lynn and we were uh, owned by cap cities, which was owned by Disney. So yes. we were like the third grand nephew of, <laughs> of Disney entertainment. And well, cap cities used to own ABC. Right. And, and that, and that's when all that, because Disney didn't own ABC at first. They bought Cap Cities, who happened to own ABC, which was weird at the time. Very weird. And even more weird was that Disney also owned the Anaheim Ducks. And that was the year that we had Gretzky playing for the Blues. 1994. 
1996. Sorry, it was 1996 because I started with the Blues right after Wayne Gretzky left. Right. I think I think you were playing guard that season or (laughs) (laughs) I was I was playing music starting in in the fall. But he was there in the spring because, you know, we rented him for uh, 34 or so games. Wow. Yeah, it was like the planets were just aligning in a very weird way. And Eisner wanted to see his Ducks play against Gretzky. But it was late in the season and his only chance was to go to St. Louis. And um, and I guess someone told him that, hey, you own a newspaper like in the area. You should (laughs) you should go by and check that out. But when word came down the pike that Eisner was going to be visiting our newspaper, I always liken it to that Andy Griffith episode where they're going to film a movie in Mayberry. So they start like redoing the town and everybody gets dressed up. Yeah, exactly. And that is not exactly what they wanted. Exactly. So I think they had a red carpet rolled down the uh, the uh, entryway to the front door and they had two kids dressed in tuxedos holding hockey sticks, which they would cross over Eisner's head as he entered. You know, they were the kids tall enough to make it work. (laughs) I don't know. Because it'd be great if it came up to like his neck. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. They, they got called for slashing. He was um, a big guy. He was, yeah, he is. And um, love to be on camera. Right. And I wouldn't go down for this. I just thought it was ridiculous. But they asked me to uh, do a caricature of him. And I did a caricature of him like as a hockey player for the Ducks. And um, so he came up to my office to thank me for it. And we struck up a conversation. And next thing I know, I'm being flown out to Disney to work on um, a number of projects. Probably the most exciting one, which didn't come to fruition, was this um, a primetime animated show called The Wallas, which was a caveman show. But it had the writers, uh, Herschel and Weingrod, who wrote like a string of 80s hits like Kindergarten Cop and Twins and all these and that went on for a while, and uh, it, it finally collapsed under the weight of its, its own hubris. And so we, uh, but then I wound up doing other things for Disney, uh, working on TV shows, boarding, concept art. I even, you know, was getting calls from their uh, kids' book division because they're so synergy driven that I get really weird calls. Work on. I was writing gags for Eisner's speeches when. He would have to give a speech and things like that. So I was like all over the place at Disney. And and then that kind of got me motivated to try to get a TV show um, picked up. So I started pitching TV show ideas and I optioned a few to different studios like Klasky, Jupo and DreamWorks. And and then uh, I got a, a pilot uh, picked up by Disney and um, for a show called wedgies which was sort of an autobiographical show about the losers in grade school and how they take on the uh the other uh kids and um and then from there uh just all other kinds of craziness i got you know tapped to work for other studios i did another pilot autobiographical only a teenage one called stooky terrace for fox tv and then i kind of started doing stuff for motion pictures for blue sky and 
Doing uh, punch up right. We, let's lament Blue Sky's demise, everybody. Yeah. Swallowed yeah. up by Disney, coincidentally. <laughs> That's true. And the, and the work staff was, uh, a lot of them were picked up by Illumination, I, I, I heard. So, uh, but yeah, that, that was fun working out in White Plains, New York on uh, Ice Age for, for Blue Sky and got to meet a lot of other really talented artists, uh, animators. So made well, a lot of lifelong friends there. Glenn, did you hear what the last project of Blue Sky was? Uh, no. The, the animators just put this out on YouTube. They didn't uh, title it or anything. They just let <laughs> Scrat get his acorn and they said <laughs> farewell and goodbye. Oh, that's awesome. I, I don't know how I feel about that, actually, because I, I, I'm one of these people who never wanted Charlie Brown to kick the football. Right. And uh, so, but I don't know. I, I, I got to be really good friends with the creator of Scrat because he was working as a board artist when I was working on Ice Age 3. And he was just the coolest dude in the world and had all these crazy stories about working for people like Ralph Bakshi back in the day. And he worked for everybody. Was that Chris? Uh, I think it was. Laura, do you remember? <laughs> I'm horrible with names. I mean, if you show me the drawing, I could tell you, but I, I thought it was like Dave. Because he was he was the voice of Scrat too, wasn't he? No, not this dude. Maybe he lied and said he created him, but <laughs> but everyone sort of nodded when he when he when he, and I got a bunch of boards that he gave me from from a, that he did a Scrat. He had a very loose, cool drawing style. Okay. I'll have to hunt that up. I'll get I'll send you an email and perfect. Out. Yeah. Well, now now that we're in this Zoom world and we're in this global technology world, you can live in Swansea and work on all these projects with the guys in France. And so you've been able to make this work, which is great because you didn't have to move from. Yeah, that, that's the, how I, I I've been doing that since the very beginning, which is weird. And I think I've been like pretty much the exception to the rule, even when I was working for Disney and stuff. And it, it always worked out for me because I did a lot of print work. And, and most of my clients were in New York for the print stuff, the kids' books, the magazines and so forth. And then all my animation stuff is done mostly on the West Coast, even though when I worked for uh, for uh, Blue Sky, that was up in New York. But um, so it, it's always worked pretty well for me being centrally located. Uh, and, and the, there was never a glitch really. I mean, early on, I had to travel a lot more out to California just to acclimate myself to whatever project or show I was working on. But now everything is done. I mean, and this is pre COVID when I, like I said, I've been working for illumination for 12 years and, and, um, I would just do a lot of zoom calls, a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, my, my directors would put together video, uh, launches for me. And I would just watch those where they would show me like what they want me to work on. And, uh, and my French co-directors were always like a, it's like a seven hour lag or something or huh. so they would always be, uh, I can't remember. I think they were always ending their day as I was starting mine. I think that's how it worked. So, but it, it always worked out fine. And now, now that we're coming out of uh, the pandemic, everybody's working the way I do. And uh, I'm not even sure if Illumination has opened up their offices because 
everything is rolling along so smoothly. You know, right now I'm working on Despicable Me 4 and it's just, uh, it's just so easy. And everyone, everyone else is in their pajamas when we're Zooming now. And it's just, it's just a different world. There's been a paradigm shift, I think, that we might not go back. All right, I looked it up. Chris Wedge created Scrat and is the voice, but it was also designed by Peter DeSeve? Uh, Peter DeSeve is a concept character design uh, artist who uh, sounds French, but he's American. <clears throat> he was working out there at, at the studio and he's gone on to do, uh, him and Carter Goodrich probably have designed like 90% of the characters on all movies from open oh, wow. season to whatever. But no, th this is a different guy. So maybe he, okay. he's either not getting the credit he's due or he's giving himself the well, credit. It's, 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 it's also Wikipedia. So, and if you look at your Wikipedia page, oh my God. it's so um, sparse. You need to yeah. get, a, you need to get a friend that yeah. is an editor over there. Cause you you both were in newspapers long ago and you not not so long ago. Technically, Glenn, you're in newspapers every day. And Lynn, you're still in newspapers. But Wikipedia is a great resource to start from. That's what I've told people for 20 years now. When I was when I was with Corcoran, I'd say, JC, like that doesn't count. It's on Wikipedia. I said you start at Wikipedia and then you go elsewhere because everything has to be sourced. Yeah. Right. There's that whole bibliography on the bottom. Oh, yeah. I use that all the time to get to articles. Yes. Well, you just Glenn, don't trust it. Now, Glenn, you were working from home before working from home was a thing. Yep. I think I started the whole working from home trend in the in the world. So, you know, I, I remember like the uh, the video, uh, the DVD uh, extras on the first Illumination movie, Despicable Me. And there's like a director commentary. And he mentions like, yeah, we have artists working in Paris and in Santa Monica, and we even have this guy working in Ohio. And I'm going, that's me. <laughs> I got to mention. Uh, well, there is a Belleville, Ohio, I think. I think. I think. I think Illinois, Ohio, anything like between the two coasts, just one big state, flyover state. <laughs> flyover state. Yep. Yeah. So you started as what title when you started on the Despicable Me movie? Well, I started as a storyboard artist and um, and I, I boarded the very first scene in the movie. You know, uh, it was a scene where you begin with this desert scene and you have like this uh, Bedouin shepherd and then a bus runs him down. Yeah. And then all these tourists get off the bus and then the pyramid deflates and it goes to a newscast. I boarded up all that, but uh, I threw in a bunch of jokes of my own. And I think I made me threw in about 10, 15 and almost all of them landed. You know, they, uh, they're all in there. And at that point, the directors said, okay, your storyboards are just okay, but we like your jokes. So, um, by the time I finished the movie, I was just writing gags and um, or drawing gags, I should say. And um, and so I was credited as a story artist instead of a storyboard artist. And that's kind of what I've been from then on with all the movies. And I believe it's just sort of a catch all for just someone who works graphically on writing humor. So um, my typical. But then, oh, go ahead. 
No, no, you go, Carl. I was going to say, but didn't they spell your name wrong in the credits? Yeah, they did. They spelled it with one N. And then I think I told them the next time, okay, I want that N back. So I went three ends on the next movie. <laughs> and the plan was to add an end to every concurrent every movie. movie. <laughs> but then like someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, that's not the smartest thing because your IMDB page will never have be right. All, be right. So then I, I went back to just two ends. But uh, yeah. Oh, well, that's that's really hilarious that you started when uh, nobody knew these little critters or I don't even know if they're critters. These these are uh, minions, minions, yeah. these yellow dudes with the glasses. And then I remember sitting at the Secret Life of Pets and you directed your very own short, which was hilarious. But it was surreal because Maureen Houston, who you used to share an office with at the News Democrat, yeah. she had her grandkids and me and we're watching your short so it was really <laughs> fun like we know him we know him we were like buddy the elf you know we know that guy <laughs> i'm watching my shorts That's oh creepy. my god and it's just it's funny because you've been able to retain your humor because well they're cutting grass which is hilarious mowing and, minions and doing yeah. all these things that are so glenn like but <laughs> it's on a, a national scale so the um, you were just telling me that on Rise of Gru, you did it pre-pandemic, so it's been a while. But uh, the director, is it Brad Abelson? Yeah. Okay. He, on his Facebook page, which he shared on your Facebook page, was this anatomy of a scene. And basically the directions are like, you know, the minions start the plane and land the plane but then <laughs> you created the whole thing about what happens in the <laughs> the plane bathroom and with the passengers and it's just hilarious so is that the directions you get they're just very sparse and then you guys go with it yep uh, pretty much uh, the the uh, director and, and it's funny that the the story is so driven by just spontaneous humor and typically, and I find this in animation and feet on the feature side, but not in the TV side, is that when we start a movie, we'll have like the first two acts pretty thought out. But the third act, we're always working on and trying to figure out the ending of these movies, like up into like the last week. And we're uh, and we're scrambling, but they always start these movies without knowing where they're going to end. But but then. Well even uh, the despicable me ones because that though the first one seemed pretty you know that was a a character uh, arc yeah that that one might have been a little bit more nailed down but still i i'm not sure if we had the uh i know we had the moon thing going from the beginning but a lot of that stuff you know with um with vector and and the uh all the minions hanging on you know farming a line to to get uh, to save Gru, that was all thought up last minute, and it was very weird how how they they work that way, and it it kind of adds like a frenetic energy that I think kind of feeds the the wacky kind of humor because when you're when you have all the time in the world, and I find this with my comic strip, you don't write as funny because you're you're just kind of like uh, focusing on all the other incidentals like the drawing or whatever, but. When you're on, right on a deadline, that's when all the crazy humor comes out. 
and all the weird ideas. And I think that really served Despicable Me and a lot of the movies afterwards is that we're just throwing everything at them and, and we're all making each other laugh. And, but, but yeah, uh, as far as how my typical workday goes, you know, like I like said, Lynn, uh, Brad or whatever d- director I'm working with, but Brad's great he, because we, we, we riff off of each other's ideas a lot, but he would call me, but typically he would send me this video of him describing what he wanted. He said, you know, like, Hey Glenn, we're working on this idea where um, the minions are going to be airline pilots and think, you know, go rewatch um, that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, where he's, you know, takes on the aviator. Uh, no, the, no, this is the one where he uh, is a doctor. Uh, oh, uh, catch, catch, me catch me if you can. Right. Because, uh, you know, he sees these pilots walking in and he goes, yeah, I want to be that. So uh, I watched uh, that thing and I just started, and then I'll just start drawing uh, gags. And um, and I'll give, the, give them usually batches of 15 or 20 at a time. And he will take those gags and I'm sure he's got another guy working concurrently, but, and then he'll sort of build the scene off of, all this humor he's got and and brad's brilliant about that and he'll he'll write a storyline off of what our gags are so you know like i wrote all the stuff with the pilot minions just hitting all these buttons and the plane going up and down and and the air mask dropping and then the you know i wrote uh the stuff with the with the stewardess minion bob you know giving out all, all this stuff and trying to make this crying kid laughing and, and i wrote the stuff where the minion is in the bathroom and he gets his clothes get sucked into the thing and and um but he would he'd take all these gags and build and build it out as a, as a storyline and so that's kind of what what i do um is i just try to give them humor options and sometimes it you know uh it just fills in a couple seconds where they need a joke and sometimes it actually spins the script off in a different direction because you know they you know a gag becomes an important part of the uh, the plot line and so uh, and and uh you know like uh the madam chow character was going to be like this other character but i did a drawing of her doing acupuncture on this dude who's like you know kind of like uh sleeping and she's able to manipulate him like by hitting certain pressure points to where this uh, guy who's unconscious is like battling the minions, you know, because she's poking him in different spots on his back. So that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, well, now Despicable Me 4, the main script is going to be written by Mike White, which is interesting because, you know, he he's coming from an actor point of view and, you know, he's written a lot as well, yeah. but do you, do you just get direction from these guys to say, here's where we're going. Can you help us get them from point A to B or do you just write jokes? Uh, I kind of write jokes. Uh, typically. I mean, there's sometimes when the joke has to be very specific, like we have a scene and we have a joke, but it's not landing. So give us like 10 other options. And so I'll do that as well. And um, and then sometimes they'll just bring me 
in to just watch the movie from where it is and saying, punch up the whole movie. And so I'll sit there with a, with a writer friend of mine, Ken Dario, who wrote the first uh, Despicable Me movie. And we'll just watch the movie together and just be writing down like areas that we could slip some humor in and, and things like that. Well, Ken, Ken was in the first three. Yeah. And uh, Chris Renaud's coming back to direct the fourth one. Yep. Yep. Chris is a uh, super, super tight. He's, he's like the all-star director kind of right at, at the, at the studio for, and, for good reason. And, you know, you still have, you, you are one of the few people that has two franchises going. It, what, what is the latest on pets or is there anything? Uh, I haven't heard about a secret life of pets three, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't count it out right, right now. The, our slate of movies moving forward um, are, I think we're working on super Mario brothers, the Spiggle wow. Me four, uh, one called migration. Um, I'm just, we're just slowly starting on Shrek now. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and one other one as well. And I can't think of it off the spot, but um, so we, we, we have a, we, we have a full, uh, you know, the, the runway is, uh, the tarmac's pretty backed up right now, but I, I, I really hope we do another Secret Life with Pets because I love those characters and they're so easy. Well, you directed two of the shorts. Right. Yep. I, uh, I directed their, their very first short, um, uh, which was More Minions. And then I, I've gone on to direct two other ones. More Minions is a comedy. You know, it's just slapstick, Three Stooges kind of stuff. My second short was Secret Life of Kyle, which was based on that weird dog that Gru has that looks like a cross between a piranha and a, and a dog. And that was a romance, believe it or not. <laughs> and, and that was about him being in love with this poodle. And then the third one was Super Gidget, which was the Secret Life of Pets characters. And that was a superhero action adventure one. So I'm, I like that each one I've done so far has been a totally different genre. And, um, but I remember when, and uh, I, I got a phone call about that because we hadn't done any shorts up to that point, and there had been no no discussion except that we had a contest the very first year to come up with an idea for who what the first short would be, and I won the contest, which was like all the storyboard artists and writers from Paris and Santa Monica, but I came up with this weird story called Fish Boy. Which was about this, uh, uh, this kind of secret art, this creature from the Black Lagoon type creature, but it's a little kid and he gets like, the, his swamp gets drained and then they have to like figure out what to do with them. And it goes on, but it, it was weird how, um, and it didn't get produced because uh, we didn't know Despicable Me was going to be such a huge hit. And once that happened, all the shorts had to be about either minions or, you know, <laughs> characters like that. But I never got to do Fish Boy, but um you have it sitting del- around yeah there was that del toro movie the the um secret are uh, the shape of water shape of water you know it yeah. won best picture yeah there's like so much and i'm not saying that i'm it's all coincidental but i could show you storyboards that i did from fish boy and stills from that movie and there it's just uncanny you know like the the hand on the glass with the character and floating in the and just all this weird oh. stuff. So you're saying you can't do Fish Boy now because everyone will say, well, that's from the shape right. of water. Yeah. Um, that's so derivative of the shape of water. Right. 
So and, uh, were so if you were surprised by Despicable Me, were have you are surprised with how the minions have taken off? Because there are a zillion memes with minions. And why do you think people love them so much? I don't know. It's I mean, it's been 12 years and it just I mean, the new movie is doing better than any of the other yes. movies. It's crazy. Um, I mean, there's a universe universality. I don't know if that's or if I pronounce that right, but you know, the, the characters uh, are identifiable cross culture. So, you know, they're huge in Europe and China. Well, they don't, they don't speak English. They don't have to speak English. And right. that's, an, that's not, and universal can use them everywhere because they don't, they only have to, they've already paid you guys. They don't have to use somebody's face. <laughs> just, just like with star Wars, they use, like if they do Kylo Ren, they use his mask. They use the droids because they're not paying anybody for that. You just have a minion and you don't have to pay likeness to anyone. That's that's so true. And and since we're right now in the middle of the minion kind of craze, you know, I, I have to like remind myself that this is a this is imprinted enough on our society to where like 20 years from now, I'll be like sitting on a rocking chair at a retirement telling the guy feeding me pudding that I helped create the minions. And, I know. drew Bob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, why do you, why do you like driving? I mean, why do you like drawing them? Well, they're very easy for one thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I do a lot of, uh, go like this. I know it's a Tic Tac with an eyeball, but, um, I have Tic Tacs. I have minion themed Tic Tacs. I worked on that camp, that commercial campaign. Yeah. It, I um I I like how they're very base in their humor as well because I like uh, slapsticky Three Stooges kind of infantile stuff and I think everyone secretly does and I and um, you know they they're they work for villains and they're mischievous but it's it's a very you know sweet single minded kind of just wanting to get into trouble kind of stuff that you know, is I, I think uh, there's a, there's a lot of appeal there in a lot of different com comedic uh, directions that um, and, and plus you have different minions to, you know, you have the sweet minion, Bob. So when I write that kind of humor, the cute kind of stuff that fits that niche, you have Stuart, who's much more mischievous. So I can write that kind of humor and that goes into that slot. And Kevin, who's kind of like the the uptight you know, bossy one. So Otto. Uh, yeah. And Otto. Right. And but by the way, I, I designed Otto. So, you know, that, that was like really fun because we, um, we didn't have a look for him. And I always like coming up with something that becomes minion canon. So like I, <laughs> I wrote like in, in the first uh, minions movie that minions were attracted to fire hydrants. That was great. <laughs> And so like now that's sort of like minion canon. And, you know, in a lot of my shorts, I, I try to come up with uh, stuff that you, you can later say, okay, oh yeah, minions like, you know, like smoothies, banana smoothies, because that was in my first short. Our minions, you know, can get sunburned, which was in my uh, second. Yes. They're so, on the uh, beach and they have tans. Yeah. Well, all, <laughs> your, turns... all your shorts are on the DVDs. So that's good right. that they included them. So if you want to see Glenn shorts, 
Uh, you can <laughs> rent. If you want to see my shorts? Go to <laughs> <laughs> your your wife laughed at that one, Lynn. Good job. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now, are you going to start to feel like Bill Waterston when Calvin was peeing on everything? Because <laughs> the minions are memed and they are misappropriated and they are really stolen for a lot of things that you guys aren't getting paid for. But <laughs> yeah, Bill Waterston said that cat's out of the bag. I'm not going to sue everybody that tries to uh, get Calvin peeing on something. Yeah. I, I, he hated it, but he, there was nothing he could do about it. Well, up to a certain, right, right. Up to a certain point, I think the studio probably thinks, Hey, it's getting the characters out there farther. But you're right. Like, you know, if you look at any meme, they'll take any kind of quote or any type of humor and just plop a minion in there. And somehow it completes the, uh, you know, it's they, they serve a lot of uh, weird purposes that way. But um, yeah. And anytime you're at a Denny's and you have the claw machine, you're going to find <laughs> like some stuffed minions in there. It's weird. How now, old did are you your work children? on that? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, how old are your children? So when, yeah, what they're, phase they're, uh, were they when you started it? Well, well, my son, uh, Jack, is a senior in high school. And my daughter, Molly, is now a senior in college. But yeah, when 12 years ago, you know, they were they were very young and stuff. And uh, they, they reached a point at, for a while there where it's like, oh, dad oh brother more minions you know look you know look there what do you think's paying for your college honey yeah that's right yeah respect the minions damn it (laughs) (laughs) they paid for you those braces um but but yeah now now they love them again Yeah, but in college and high school they're watching them with their they're going to see them even without you right yep and they would they would sit there with their friends and wait for my name to come through and then Yeah, and they'd all do the wave. Yeah. Now, did you help work on that IHOP campaign? Uh, nope. I don't. Okay. I don't remember working on that. Because um, that I, that it was in conjunction with the new movie. Oh wait, did I? Or I worked on a bunch <laughs> of McDonald ads. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I did. I did McDonald commercials, and um, yeah, I'm thinking. I do. I do like most of the marketing ads, but I didn't do that one. But I'm trying to remember. Um, I think I posted some of them on Facebook that I saw popping up. Um, yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to think of that. Uh, we probably one of the funnest projects I did that didn't get picked up was we, me and Brad Abelson, uh, the the director for Minions Two, uh, put together a uh, Super Bowl commercial which was going to be uh was going to be promoting the movie but this was a couple years ago and then the movie got you know shelved because of uh so the super bowl ad didn't run but it would have been awesome because we had the minions as different rock bands so we had like kiss and there would be the minions made up as kiss and you know one minion's tongue would like come out and hit the floor and then we'd have yeah we'd have like every leonard skinner we had commodores we had zeppelin acdc how'd you clear all the music for that well that that was a big stumbling point and that's at one you know at one point we realized that we couldn't we couldn't afford (laughs) you know the 20 songs we wanted so we got it scaled back to like three or four and it looked like there was a while that was going to be greenlit which we would have loved because i'm a huge led zeppelin fan so i i had this gag where 
Jimmy Page, Zepp Minion is trying to play Stairway to Heaven, but he keeps getting the chord wrong. And then like, all oh, the then you things. wouldn't have to clear the music. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So ne- never happened though, but, I, but the storyboards are really funny. So have you, you're, you don't work on the Sing movies or any other part of the Illumination? You're strictly with the Minions and also with the Pets. Pet, pets, I did work on Sing, but I didn't get a credit because it was mostly on the marketing side. Like I just did a Sing to a McDonald's commercial where all these characters from Sing are doing like audition tapes and you have like a panda and it's a little kid doing a hulu dance and, and stuff like that but well, you, um, you worked on you worked on the seuss franchise yeah i did i worked on um the lorax, lorax. and the grinch and uh and when i worked at blue sky i think i worked a little bit on horton here's a who so it's yeah. it's very impressive what you've done and i wish you would get more credit for it <laughs> Well, I, I'm just happy to, to be in the mix. I mean, it's, it's a huge pool of talented people that I'm working with and they each are super good at everything they do. And, um, you know, when I was directing the shorts and I got to meet like the crew that worked on just the special effects of animation and these guys, you know, like hair blowing or water on reflective surfaces and things like that. All these things that you don't really think about that go into movies and scoring the movies and working with the composers and, and all that. And not um, to mention the voice talent and the voice talent. Sure. And, and, you know, that's always fun directing, you know, the, uh, the actors and stuff like that, because, you know, it's, it's always so spontaneous and they, you always, it's always fun when they're riffing and throwing things that you didn't, really intend for them to do or expect and uh, you know now I watch movies with my kids and and I see this with the whole that whole generation but they'll be sitting on their chair like and we're watching a movie and they're on their phone the entire time just listening to the movie and meanwhile I'm watching every scene knowing the detail and the sweat that goes into every single frame and it just drives me crazy but that's just the way they're wired right now how many hard drives do you have at home? <laughs> uh, I, I tend to, well, I work off of a server. So, you know, they'll send me stuff and then I, down, I, I watch what they want me to see and then I upload. But I, I have a ton of artwork, uh, sure, like filling up space here. But I, I work on a pretty powerful iMac. So I think I'm good for a while. Now, Lynn, did you tell them about my child? I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Glenn's wife popped up and said, oh, what's this? Uh, <laughs> my daughter is on her way in eight days to go to which, as I just found out from Lynn, moved up to uh, a, a couple spots for one of the best film schools in the country. Wow. She is Congrats. going to go there. Thank you. She's going to go into their honors animation program. Nice, nice. And she and since she's going in as nearly a sophomore, she's actually taking honors classes and she gets to take her majors classes. So she's taking screenwriting, she's taking after effects, she's taking the history of animation, she's also taking a 200 level course. I'm just I'm just bragging, but I'm also wanting to know your thoughts on what a college child should do for animation. 
I get asked this a lot and my stock answer is that I took the most serendipitously crazy route to where I'm at now. And when you go backwards, I'm like, how did I wind up in animation? Because I, you know, I wanted to be a cartoonist. Yeah. Yeah. And now um, I'm doing this. And, and it's, it's also very weird because I got moved into like directing you know, ahead of like a lot of people who probably really should have been tapped before me because I didn't go to school for animation and I still can't animate. I mean, I I work in storyboarding programs where I'll do animatics, but in terms of like animation and what your daughter's gonna be doing and I don't know After Effects, you know, I've done some some shorts where I brought in people who know that, but I'm just amazed at that. Do this. Yeah, right, yeah. And uh, the the animators at the studio, and they're kind of based in largely in Paris um, at McGuff. They're um, they're the superstars of the uh, the whole thing because what what I do, and most of the stuff that's done, uh, building the story out, timing the story, scoring, and all that and acting and all that is done in Santa Monica and in the United States, which is where I'm involved. But once all that stuff is done, then it goes over to Paris and that's where the animators step in. I just pictured these guys like dressed like Elvis or something. With berets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, you know, this are flying in, you know, like Superman, but they, they take my boards and then they just take it to a whole different level and the lighting that goes into it and the acting and the, the little mannerisms and, and facial expressions and crazy stuff that they add to it is a whole, puts a whole different layer on the humor. And uh, yeah, they're, they're really, so that's who your daughter needs to be talking to, you know. She, well, DePaul just said that they have uh, abroad internships, both in Paris and in Japan. And I believe Korea, too, because there is yeah. a lot of animation going over in the Far East. Yeah, a lot of like, uh, I think The Simpsons is done in Korea, if yes. I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, right now I'm working with another studio um, to, on another project and all that animation is being done in Spain. And so um, and I know, of course, Canada does a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh animation like stop motion and things like that so um yeah she she was just watching the fantastic mr fox the other day i'm like i i like isle of dogs better and she's like no the animation in this is just so cool and i said yeah but isle of dogs i i I prefer that one if i'm gonna have my wes anderson animated i i want isle of dogs yeah i i think it 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 probably locks in more with this whole aesthetic. I mean, it feels everything's horizontal and so perfectly, you know, stage and stuff. I, I love that movie. Oh, I I love the voice, movies. the voice work alone is just so brilliant. And the, the expressions on their faces. Well, I'm sure growing up, you're a big fan of Disney and Carl and I love this DVD. Uh, well, it's a movie that's on DVD called Waking Sleeping Beauty. And it was about how Disney reinvented itself during the, the with the Little Mermaid. Starting with the Little Mermaid. It was the Disney Renaissance from Little Mermaid all the way, I think, to Aladdin, maybe Hercules. 
Okay. And, and uh, I'm fascinated by how things are. And then the movie Howard about Howard Ashman that is on Disney Plus talks about that. And they show the animators coming up with the characters, their first ideas for Ursula and their first things. And, and uh, are you as intrigued as the creative process as I am watching these behind the scene things? Because I'm just in awe of people. Oh, yeah. Creativity. Yeah. I- I have a, a whole like a couple bookshelves full of just Disney concept art, layout art, um, and all that. And uh, I, I get probably more excited looking at that stuff than the finished product because it's, you know, it's it's that's where like a lot of the really exciting artwork is being done. You know, Gerald Scarf's work on Hercules, and you know, and all these like great great designers and Imagineers and, and things like that. It's just. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. I, I just really get into that. Well, a couple of years ago when Zootopia was coming out, and this is when we still had access to a lot more. We used to actually... When, when there were press tours. Yeah, when there were <laughs> press tours, we actually... I sat next to Pete Doctor. And, oh, yeah. and when, when Up Sorry. came out, when Up came out, and he was sitting there, like, you know, it was round table, and he was waiting for us, and he was sitting there with a little pad, and he was doodling. And uh, he he drew me a Doug the dog. And and (laughs) and I just I just will never forget that because it was 2009. It was up and I had talked. uh, One of the things was in the credits. Pixar always has like, you know, they do a tribute like for up. They they uh, honored their grandparents and then they always do, you know, the Pixar babies and everything. But uh, but everybody does that now because that that just shows how long it takes to make one of these films that. All these children were born while while the production was going on. And so he's been one of my heroes. And then I was fortunate when Zootopia came out, we got to interview Byron Howard and uh, the other Jim, the other guy whose name escapes me. But we interviewed them at the zoo, the St. Louis Zoo. And we each had our little periods and this is when i was doing these things for the news democrat so they gave me separate access to them and they were talking about coming up with like the frank and ollie era where those guys did the hand-drawn animation the nine old men Yeah. yeah yeah and to me so you must have great respect for for the guys that came in before yeah and i think uh pete doctor squeezed um the uh those guys into like one of the yes our movies one of the they were like in the very last scene yeah like on a park bench or something yes yeah yeah that's that's great um i I remember lynn Lynn, you i'm sorry lynn you were thinking of rich moore was the other guy Rich Moore, because he was uh, Glenn. You probably heard of him, but to uh, to give us background for interviewing these guys, they said he worked on The Simpsons. He was he did Marge the monorail, Marge in the monorail, and he which did Conan Cape, O'Brien wrote, and he did Cape <laughs> Fear and the Cape Fear one with an E. Oh, that's a great one. Oh one of my favorites and so just to sit across from him i was just like you know i could have talked to him for a half hour on simpsons but i didn't but just how because he started with them and then he moved over to disney but to them it's such an honor to step in the shoes of these original guys and glenn you're right you're right they they at the very end of the incredibles 
That's right. The incredible. Brad Bird put them in at the end of the, they're sitting on a park bench watching all of the uh, mayhem go down. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah, well, Brad, Brad, and uh, Brad Abelson, by the way, the director of uh, of Minions Rise of Gru, uh, he started out at The Simpsons, and he's got crazy stories because he he worked in those golden seasons where, you know, Flaming Mo and all that stuff mm. was being uh, done. And yeah, I, I just like hang on every word because it's you know it's that was like a that Mad Magazine and Peanuts were like formative, you know, things for my sense of humor and just you know, um, basking in that kind of afterglow of, of what those guys did is just incredible. I remember working on, for, uh, on Ice Age 3, for, which was my first feature movie um, for Blue Sky. And um, we were feel, feeling really good about the movie. And then I think uh, a Pixar movie came out. It could have been Wally or something. And we, oh. me and like a few board artists went to see that. And then we just walked out depressed because it's like, man, Pixar, how do you even. We're not going to win best animated feature. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but so, Glenn, how are you how are you spending your time these days? Because are you, you I, are you not doing any political cartooning anymore at all? Have you given that? No, no, that's, up? no I, I, I gave that up a long time ago for a number of reasons, but it's just, you know, we're working for Hollywood and, and, uh, and studios. It just was not a, a, you don't want to like in this atmosphere, introduce any kind of politics or anything like that into what, you know, uh, you're onto your resume. So I kind of like brush that all to, to the past, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I keep busy with illumination for the most part. Um, I think I, I'm working on a. Uh, I'll probably be directing starting pretty soon on a TV show that's kind of still in the works. It's an Adam Carolla uh, thing, and um, you know the being a, a director for shorts for Illumination is sort of like the bullpen for directing a feature. So I'm just kind of like keeping every finger and toe crossed that they're going to like tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, you're going to be, you know, directing or helping to direct something feature based. You're up. Yeah. With, right. uh, with the streaming services being how they are now and everybody needing content, do you find this gives you more opportunities? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's easier to get stuff out there, but then it's so diffused, you know, over like so many different streaming platforms where, you know, back in the day, it was harder to option a show and get something in development. But then once it, if, if it landed on TV, more eyes, eyeballs would be on it. Now everything's more niche. So uh, it's, it's easier to, you know, probably get work, but you really, you know, that's why I like Illumination is because, I know that the stuff that I work on is going to be seen by so many people and some of the other stuff that I do for other studios, I kind of know that it probably won't be, but it's still fun. And you take each job for what it, for what it is. That's awesome. Well, there's a guy in O'Fallon that designs toys and among his toys, he has license with the minions and things. And I told him when I interviewed him, I said, you need to know who Glenn McCoy is. 
<laughs> so, so I'm going to get you up because I just find that fascinating that you can work here and he can work here and you create all these things, you know, right here, right in our area. <laughs> you don't have to go to the big city. You yeah, can well, one of, one of the jokes I wrote for the very first scene of Despicable Me was uh, there was like a, a cable newscast where they're saying, the you know, the pyramid has been deflated. Who would do such a thing? And then they we cut all around the globe and I wrote like a joke about the Chinese wall and I wrote a joke about the Eiffel Tower being guarded. And then I threw a mime in there like next to the guards, mm -hmm. you know, acting like, and there was a scene where I had this dude, some hillbilly cocking a shotgun. He's got like a couple hound dogs next to him. And there's like a, a water tower shaped like a, uh, a beer can. And that, of course, what inspired that was the Collinsville ketchup bottle. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, there's little bits of like the Metro East, you know, kind of sprinkled throughout the movies if you, you know, if you pay attention. So. Well, that's good. And, and doesn't your regular life with your family drive your humor, too? Oh, yeah. And, and my kids and my wife have there, there's jokes that they've come up with where we'll be sitting in the movie theater and dad, you know, that's I gave you that one. It's like, yeah, good, yeah. good job, sure Laura. Like the other good artists. <laughs> Good job, Laura. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure Laura, what's the favorite joke that you came up with? Oh gosh, oh, there's so much I've. Done. I, I think I think Gru, you came up with that Gru character. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, I, I don't know. We, that's fun. Yeah, we we were just watching. You know, the first time we watched the finished Minions movie, you know, months ago. We're both poking each other on the arm like that was your no, you know, you did that one, so. Well, that's cute well, that you you can do that and your kids will appreciate it someday. I'm sure they uh, probably rolled their eyes in the early days. Like my kids were like, don't put us in an article, mom. Don't <laughs> write about us. Don't, right. you know, those so, years. Yeah. Yep. During mm -hmm. their teenagers, I made a pat. I said, OK, I won't. And I didn't, you know, yeah. because they would just be so mortified mom a, all these people know who we are why there's a point me? like in childhood and i'm and i think it's right around that middle school mark where like because i i would go and talk to and i still do like a lot of schools and stuff and i'll show like cartoons and everything and i remember one school was like split up between like kindergarten to like fourth grade and then the next group was fifth grade to eighth grade and i showing like all this all these funny cartoons to the younger group and you know some of them burst out laughing and they look around like oh we're gonna get in trouble and <laughs> no teachers are like trying to shush them so then the next slide more kids burst out laughing and they're really making all this noise because they're, they're getting away with it not so much what I'm showing them but it's like each slide was like louder like ah, ah, and it kept getting louder and louder <laughs> then they bring in the older kids and they're all just like looking at each other like, I'm not going to laugh, mm -hmm. you know, because it's like you don't want to draw attention to yourself. And that's why, you know, I really love, you know, how unbridled, you know, little kids are and they'll just react where when once my kids got into like high school and junior high, it's like it was all conforming and, you know, not wanting to to step 
not want to draw. This isn't off. funny, Dad. <laughs> they don't want to stand out. They don't want to. They don't want to. Uh, they want to be like everybody else and stand out. Where now, as they're in, well, because you have college age kids, they want to. They want to be different. But back then, they totally wanted to sink into the wall. And I'm sure you embarrassed your daughter, Carl. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but no, I just think it's cool. So uh, they'll have a, when you have grandchildren, they'll be like, my grandpa did this. <laughs> right, right. This house was paid for with Despicable Me 4. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's our, uh, that's the Grinch swimming pool you're in right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Lorax car. So when's when's Despicable Me four supposed to come out? Uh, I think we might be shooting for summer of next year, but wow. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, Grisa Gru's made a ton of money. Oh, it's crazy! And the the whole like some of the um, like the gentleman fad that went on where kids are dressing up yes. in the theaters and. Yeah, they they were dressing up like the Sopranos and saying four for minions, please. <laughs> um, I, it, according to Illuminations website, July 3rd, 2024. Oh, 20. Yeah, 2024. Yep. Wow. I'm, See, it takes a long time to make one of these movies. Yeah, it, it feels like about four years, maybe on average, you know, from the very first time I see the script to when I'm sitting there with my popcorn. <laughs> Did you have anything to do with any of the theme park stuff? Uh, yeah, I worked on the uh, pets ride and we're doing a uh, Minions of Rise of Gru villain ride. And I, I did some work on that as well. And I worked on all the, I worked on a lot of the video games. Um, yeah, just it's, that's a nice thing about the studio as well is that you know, Do they, they send them to you when they're completed? The the the, the rides, yeah. I, I got well, one of the rides in the back. Well, <laughs> I'm talking the video games. Oh uh, no, they don't. Which oh, sucks. what? <laughs> so you you work on it, then you have to go out and give them sixty dollars, something like that, so you yeah. can play it. But you know, my cousin worked on the Simpsons ride. He was an animator. He worked. He's he worked for Jimmy Neutron oh, for wow. Nickelodeon. And he worked on the Simpsons ride at Universal. I love that ride. And he said, uh, I said, so what did you work on? He said, do you remember the ride? Remember when Maggie uh, takes the car and yeah. makes it the pacifier and then the room smells like milk? And I said, <laughs> yes. And he's like, that was me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because I said, oh. That's great. And I was trying to when he worked on Jimmy Neutron, I was trying to explain to my he was a background artist. And so we're showing her an episode of Jimmy Neutron. She's like, I don't understand what he does. And I said, all right, do you see Jimmy Neutron? Yes. See everything behind him? Yes. That's what Christopher does. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Not I, uh... see, see everything that's not him. That's what he does. That ride started out as the Back to the Future ride. Yes. And I think the car was like uh, the DeLorean was flying around and gets swallowed by a uh, dinosaur and then it gets spit out. And then I remember like going to the Simpsons ride 
and it's the it same joke. Movie. It was the well, same they, joke. They just but repurposed I, it. Yeah, but I, I always feature. smelled like I thought it was talcum powder, but it was. But was it? It's it's supposed to be milk. Okay. And, but funny. if if my cousin wouldn't have told me that, I would have. I could have thought talcum powder like you. He's like, no, it's supposed to be milk because it's Maggie and she has just eaten and she wants her pacifier. That's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. Well, that's so that's awesome. I just love seeing how inspired people are. So did the pandemic recharge your batteries, Glenn? Uh, it slowed everything down so much that now I just feel like my stride has picked up to where it was before. I mean, I did a lot of other stuff because uh, the, the, the movie thing sl- slowed down uh, a little bit to where, you know, normally I, I would have a director saying, get, the, get this to me by the end of the day. And for a while there, it seemed like by the end of the week. So I wrote a kid's book and- uh, Ooh, what's it called? Uh, what's it, it's called Class President right now, but uh, the original title was, um, uh, what was it called? Yeah, it, it was like how to survive middle school or, or something oh. like that. And then, um, yeah, and then I my agent said that no, you know, we got to focus on this class president thing. So, but right right now I'm drawing that up, you know, on my off hours. You know, I'm, I it was going to be a you know a written chapter book with illustrations, but now I, I like the idea of a graphic novel. So that's kind of, you know, I'm burning off a lot of uh, expendable creative energy that way. Are you drawing them by hand or are you using a tablet? Well, I'm drawing them by hand on a tablet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes to both. It's still drawing and it's still, but it's just, you know, I work on it with a pen on, but instead of paper, I work uh, on a Cintiq monitor. I I have one of those at my house. Yes. Well, when when is that going to come out? Do you have an Uh, idea? Uh, I don't know. We're, we're still, if, if you know of any publishers that are, you know, right, right now, you know, we're, we're still like uh, working on, you know, the story beats and, and things like that, but it's, it's pretty much, it's pretty much written. And I'm going to, well, I think, I think the people at Andrews McNeil might know someone that could help you out. You know what I showed, th- this is crazy, but I showed Andrews McNeil because I thought that'd be a slam dunk and, and, uh, and they nope, said, another anthology, please. I know they're kind of like in that niche where they just put out like collections. So all my duplex and fly McCoy books have been through Andrews McNeil, but I guess they're just not into that whole graphic novel scene yet. Well, if only you knew people in the business. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I would like, I'd love to see that because it's, you know, I, my child's now going to college and you probably had a whole bunch of experience with your two kids, you probably stole things from their lives. And now that they're old enough, they won't be mad at you. Yeah, true. I, we had discussed uh, a little while ago about how kids are so in the middle school years, they're, they're so locked into fitting in that it's, you know, that it's all conformity. And so this, this character in my kid's book is the antithesis to that. He's like, he doesn't have a, um, self-conscious bone in his body he's always challenging the teachers and yelling you know stuff out and bucking the trends and he gets he's got he's sort of a cross between holden caulfield and maybe uh uh walter mitty or something but yeah so that the purpose of it was just to try to show kids look you can be different and not be ostracized so 
Well, Glenn, we are so thrilled that you finally, and your busy, busy, busy schedule, you could make time for us today. And it's been a real honor to talk to you. And I look forward to seeing what's next and also paying attention to, like, if you're having a speaking engagement, like you were at the St. Louis International Film Festival, when I saw you do a whole presentation about your career which was so fascinating so i hope you get more opportunities and then came did a oh what was that show called that mark reardon did about you profiles oh, yeah, yeah. Profiles. i'm talking to mark uh, later today actually so uh-huh. show, so i will see his producer in about 10 minutes from now yeah fred cool uh-huh love so. fred <laughs> So uh, we are, yeah, really excited to see what's uh, what the future holds for you. Great. This has been like so much fun. I could talk to you guys all day. Glenn, thank you very much. Bye, McCoy okay. family. Bye. All right. Bye. See you, Carl. See you, bye. Thanks, thanks bye. All right. Bye. So, Lynn, before we go, uh, I want to say the radio community lost uh, a very clever and funny man uh, last week when Jeff Burton uh, lost his battle to cancer. And I was a better and smarter person for knowing Jeff Burton. He was very funny, very smart, the quickest wit I've ever known. And he was a very nice guy, too. He 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 had a sharp, swift wit. He was just so on fire all the time. And I wish the best for his family, his wife and kids. And. I just wanted to say we will miss you, Jeff Burton. Yeah, gone way too soon. How old was he when he passed from cancer? Uh, 55, I want to say. Yeah, that's just cancer sucks. And to, for him to some loss, because everybody in town, the blues put a tribute up to him. He did a lot for a lot of people besides the morning show on the point and his uh, long, very long career. But it's all that, uh, you know, when you when you are in a public eye, when you are in the public eye and to do things for the good of the community. And he did. So bravo, you know, applause to you, Jeff Burton, for all that you did for St. Louis and just being entertaining. Yes, I didn't get to meet him. And uh, but uh, I've I've heard about him for years and then I know how See, that's that's the thing with radio people. People like, oh, I know him. I'm like and then people like I haven't seen a while. I'm like, well, I listen to you every day. I know what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, but I it it is it's still a two way street. So if you are friends with someone in radio or media or whatever, just call them up and say hi or send them a note. Sometimes that's the way to go which I, I was texting with Jeff uh, a couple weeks ago and just knowing that he saw them was enough. Right. And now always, uh, always have an opportunity to tell people what you think and how much they mean to you. It's really important. The older I get, the more that really hits home. So uh, since we had such a lovely chat with Glenn, I knew we didn't want to run long today. So and we do, we'll 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 do a Idris Elba double feature next week. Yes, and uh, there's a it is August, so we have all that. But uh, I'm gonna go sit under the big top tonight to watch the Rose Tattoo Tennessee Williams Festivals up. The Muni wrapped up its 104th season last night. Carl. Yep. Yep. It was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. If you like the show, you would have liked the show. 
if you don't care for the show, it, it was it was nothing new about the show. So it, it's the show is very polarizing because some people think it's pap and it's just simple, which it is, which I like that. But there were there were people in my party that uh, this again. Well, it is so overdone in the area, especially it's a short play. It's a it's an easy play. It's very sometimes simple works. Right. Well, people love it, though. People it is the quintessential crowd. Feel good. Yeah. And it was quite the dance party. But I loved watching the Muni kids and the Muni teens and the youth chorus. Uh, there was over there was about 80 people on that stage and the joy on those kids faces. And I knew some of them. Yes. Was priceless. And that's what you got to look at. You got to look at the joy of entertaining and live theater and that opportunity. And you've got an audience of 11,000. When do you see that? But I think this summer was groundbreaking. And as we said last year and uh, the, when we didn't get to go on 2020, that, I'm never taking this for granted again. And so bravo to them. And uh, we've got a lot coming up. And and the the uh, so next week, we're going to talk to Martin from Apotheosis. And we have a Spider-Man recognition of its 60 years. So we will chat yep. with that. So, Carl, have a good weekend. And where can we find you on the social, Lynn? I'm on all the socials. I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times every Friday. My review of Beast. And a love song are up. And uh, I did Phantom of the Open, which is available on video now. And uh, I'm on KTRS radio. And I also talked about the Princess Diana biography on HBO called The Princess. And you would think that we know everything we need to know about Diana. But no, this is revelatory. Her anniversary of her passing is coming up at the end of the month. Uh, you can find me at underscore Carl, the intern on Twitter, where my tribute to Jeff Burton is also on Instagram at underscore Carl, the intern. You can hear me on the Mark Cox morning show Monday through Friday and second amendment radio and the great outdoors on the weekends on 97.1 and KMOX. And I will say this one thing. She Hulk is not like anything else you've seen on these Marvel TV shows. It's very funny and uh, she breaks the fourth wall. So that is all I shall say about that. We'll talk about more of that next week. Lynn, have a great weekend. Thanks. You too, Carl. And poplifestl.com. You can find us there too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.